Hi, I'm Dr. Marsha, and this is the Self-Care Chronicle. As a licensed psychologist, I know that I need to practice good self-care to maintain my mental wellness. But maintaining my self-care routine can be a struggle when things get hectic. So I started reaching out to my peers to ask them about their experiences with self-care, and I learned that many of my fellow mental health professionals have similar experiences. Join me each week as I connect with a fellow mental health professional to discuss the challenges of managing our own mental wellness in the midst of a pandemic, social unrest, increasing demand for our services, and a struggle to embrace a me-first ideology, which sometimes feels wrong to a helping professional. Welcome to the Self-Care Chronicle. Welcome back. Today, I'm connecting with Nicola Pierre-Smith, founder of Melanated Women's Mental Health. For more information on Nicola, as well as Melanated Women's Mental Health, visit drmarshabrown.com after the show. And welcome, Nicola Pierre-Smith. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. You are absolutely welcome, and it's my pleasure. Let's go ahead and jump right into it. Can you talk a little bit about your journey into mental health? And by that, I mean, how did you decide that you wanted to be a mental health professional? And then once you did make that decision, what was your journey like to serving the population that you now specialize in? Yeah, I think it would be easier to say that I always knew, but that's definitely not what my journey or path included. I actually started out doing all the business courses, economics, accounting, principles of business, intended to minor in economics in undergrad. But then it ended up that when I got introduced to sociology right at the ending of high school, I was really intrigued by different cultures and just how the mind and people and systems worked. And then in living in Jamaica, mental health and behavioral health issues are really stigmatized. So no importance is given to that. And I lived within really close proximity to one of the oldest mental health institutions in the Caribbean. So with being in close proximity to that and just exposure to people who it was obvious that they had mental health issues. I became really intrigued about, well, similarly to business or with economics, it's providing an answer or solution to a problem that exists from a supply and demand standpoint. The demand obviously wasn't there, but there was definitely the need and supply. So logically, that's initially how I went into it. And then in terms of um, choosing the population for specialty when I went into my master's program, I focused on cultural differences with the American population versus immigrant populations, such as the Jamaican society, and found out that there really isn't necessarily a cultural difference. It's more so a racial difference that's happening. That in my research, and of course, it's the graduate level, so it had some limitations, but what the results really showed was that it's not necessarily that cultural differences exist between the immigrant population and then the American population. It was just more about how the white survey respondents versus anyone that identified as black or brown, whether in the U.S. or in the Caribbean, was viewing mental health issues. So from there, I knew I really wanted to focus on serving my community 
in that aspect. And then it was more about um, what was the specific issue or population that I wanted to. And trauma just became something that I was really passionate about and working in forensic populations that no one really are not necessarily that no one does the work, but it's really minimized about the impact of like adverse childhood experiences and someone's life trajectory. So that's kind of my meandering path into psychology. Wow, that's really interesting for so many reasons. Can you talk a little bit about the most stressful thing about your job? The most stressful thing I would say is keeping current and up to date with trainings because I want to learn all the things and to be following best practices in the field. But there's always something new to learn and a new approach to um, like really get engaged with. So my biggest struggle right now is slowing down and really getting more competent in some of the trainings that I do have while also seeking out more trainings to ensure that I'm always serving the clients and putting their needs at the forefront. Right. Absolutely. Can you talk a little bit about self-care, what self-care is for you and how you practice it? So self-care for me looks like a lot of boundary setting and even setting boundaries with myself. In working in private practice, one of the transitions I didn't prepare for adequately and I had to do that more retrospectively was setting the boundaries with when am I going to take time off? Because working with agencies and other companies, there's a structure in place where you're taking paid time off. And in private practice, that is, isn't built in. If you're not working, you're not getting paid, but reminding myself that I need to take time off to then restore myself for myself as well as my clients. So lots of boundary setting with myself that I look out in the calendar and decide here are the times that I'm taking off regardless of what may be happening within the practice that I'm building in time for myself. And then with the advent of telehealth becoming more popularized, I would say, because when I was in grad school, it wasn't something that was promoted or given any light with regards to training and promoting it as a modality. So what I noticed that I've started to do for self-care in the telehealth environment is that prior to telehealth, I would schedule a seven o'clock therapy session and would be okay with that being in the office, being with a client. But now with the excess time on screen and then the boundary being blurred between taking work home since now work is in the home, that I have lessened my caseload per day. So I'm doing less session ending earlier in the day. Okay, nice. So it's all about just setting boundaries and, and knowing what you can do and what you can't do and making sure that you stick with that. Yeah, that makes sense. All right. And something that you said, you talked a little bit about the the change transferring to teletherapy. Now, I usually ask how your practice has changed since COVID-19. And so can you talk about the, the teletherapy part, I, I imagine, is part of how your practice changed. But were there, in addition to that, other ways that you had to tweak your services so that you could still serve the people that you serve? 
I think it's the telehealth that's the largest change in that I wasn't a telehealth provider back in March of 2020 when I realized that, well, we can't necessarily be in an office space. I actually paused for a few weeks to say, all right, I'm figuring out what's the process, figuring out the software to ensure that I'm still providing a service that not only is the quality okay, but also that it's following the requirements for HIPAA. So I'm not just like opening it up to video or phone calls that I'm not ensuring that the client information and confidentiality is not being maintained. So I initially took some time off and back to trainings. I did a whole 12-hour training on how do I do this to ensure that it's being done properly. So that was the biggest hump for me because I've never provided telehealth before the pandemic. Right. And yeah, those are all things that you have to sort of learn things that you you know hadn't done before and there's always a way to do it and we as mental health professionals have that extra burden of making sure that our clients information is protected at all times and doing everything we can something else you mentioned was taking work home with you before when you were going from an office to home there's somewhat more of a boundary in there because you know that you're packing up you're getting ready to leave but when work is in the home those boundaries get a little bit more blurred can you talk a little bit about any specific things that you had to implement for yourself to know that it's time to stop i'm not going to write one more note i'm not going to run and get a snack and then finish this later tonight i i have to stop work now How'd you do that for yourself? So two things I did with the um, boundaries. Initially, I realized that if I had a break, I was doing maybe like a home chore. So even with that, it's figuring, well, am I at home or am I like within my workspace that I need to be in? So I discontinued doing that and kind of like this, these are my work hours and I'm using that for work. I'm not necessarily introducing the personal tasks that I have to do at home or chores, stuff within that. So having the boundaries with time in terms of not just the limitations of starting and ending, but what's happening within the work hours. That's something that I looked at. The other thing that I did is that the space that I typically do my therapy sessions in, I ensured that I started keeping all my documents or files or worksheets or anything that I needed with me in that space so rather than having it, for example, moving my computer or my microphone to my dining table or something and doing notes there. I ensured that everything that was a work task was being done within the same space. So giving my body that habit of developing the transition that if I'm in this space, it's for work. And if I'm anywhere else within the home doing a task or activity. It's non-work related. So like environmental boundaries. Right. I love that because those are little tweaks that you don't necessarily think about firsthand. Many people think of the idea of just the time and saying from these this hour to this hour, I'm going to be working. But what about that idea of environment of, well, I'm not just going to take my stuff over to the couch to work right. there because space is very important in setting boundaries as well. And so that that's super interesting. I like that. I like that aspect of it as well. Have you ever had a time going, talking about just the boundary 
issue and setting boundaries for yourself. Was there ever a time for you that you realized you were putting your clients' needs before your mental and or physical health? And if so, what was that like when you realized it? So I'm sure it's happened many times before, potentially, especially when I was a young therapist. But a moment that's standing out for me was last summer when there were those social uprising, the Black Lives Matter movement. That was a time that I realized that, oh, as not only are we going through a global pandemic, I'm experiencing that with the clients. There's also this issue that I'm very passionate about and these movements with in society that's affecting me mentally and emotionally and recognizing that as much as I'm providing space and opportunities for clients to process those, I also needed to step back and figure out where am I doing that so it's not affecting clients and I'm also taking care of myself. So that was a period that I had to realize, well, I have to pause, take some moments for myself before re-engaging with clients. Okay. All right. And speaking of last summer, everything that went on, the now we're still in the throes of the pandemic, but with everything that went on in 2020 and 2021, the, the pandemic and the social injustice and watching unarmed Black citizens being murdered in the streets with no provocation or very little provocation to watching the escalating random violent unprovoked attacks on Asians and the terror attack on the Capitol earlier this year. Just so many things going on. Can you talk a little bit about how those things, if they did impact your own mental health as a a Black mental health professional, how they impacted your mental health? Yeah, you know, I look back at that time, especially last summer, and realized that my sleep quality really deteriorated at that time. And coming to terms and acknowledging for myself that it was really like the grief that I was experiencing at that time. And even like not necessarily normalizing, but validating that my experience of what's happening is a direct symptom essentially of my experience with race-based stress or racial trauma that's happening vicariously that obviously the thing didn't happen to me but I'm experiencing that as well it could have very well be me in my home sleeping or going about my everyday life in society and be victim to that experience. Absolutely. And I think that's that's part of what makes it so difficult is watching these things play over and over and over again. And it's not even necessarily the same incident that you see repeatedly during a news cycle for a week or two weeks or whatever, because, you know, then something even more horrific happens and then you're watching that over and over again. And it's that idea that it could, as just as you said, be any one of us. It could be you. It could be me walking down the street, barbecuing, bird watching. I mean, now there's just a ridiculous list of things that we're not free to do or that running. So exactly like that's what can we do and be assured that we're not going to end up murdered. And really the answer is nothing like there, there is no activity left. 
sitting in your own apartment eating ice cream. So yeah, there is that aspect of it that's just kind of like realizing that you are being traumatized vicariously. So with that idea that we're watching all these things unfold around us, we know that this could have been us and could be us at any given time. So can you talk a little bit about how you are, in light of the fact that you are a mental health professional of color, in light of the fact that you can't disconnect because this affects you, how are you still able to take care of your own mental health and replenish your own psychological stores enough so that you can continue to every day go into work and continue to serve the people that you serve? So for me, something that I try to do every day is connecting with a friend and not connecting with my therapist friend, but connecting with a friend, potentially one that's not in the field, and also doing that through an actual live phone call. Because I realized that naturally I had just gotten in the habit of maybe having conversations through text messages, like a lengthy conversation is happening through a group chat or a text message and getting back to the basics of having a live conversation with my friends. Absolutely. And that makes a difference for you that kind of that live connection with someone who is outside of the field is not hearing these traumatic things over and over and over again. Yeah. Okay. And checking in what's going on in your workday and just life in general as it's happening, because it's very different from the day to day experiences of a therapist. Right. Yeah, that's very true. And are there any challenges for you in terms of not only that aspect, but other aspects of self-care? Are there any things that keep coming up that make it a little bit more difficult for you to make sure that you're practicing self-care on a regular basis? Yeah, one of the challenges for me is catching myself when I'm having that internal monologue of minimizing the need to take time for self-care or pushing it off. Well, I can do it on the weekend or I can do it at the end of the work week and realizing that it's something that can be done during the week on any given day at any given time because something that may seem seemingly small as a self-care task for me is having a nice meal. So for me, making the time to prepare, to shop for the items, to make this nice meal, those are really small tasks that are self-care centered and can be spread out and not just clumped into one big thing at the end of the week. So that's something in terms of me reframing what self-care looks like and not limiting it to, well, it's something that I do on the weekend to unwind. Right. That's that's a great point. And I love that idea of making it like you talked about with the meal, preparing the meal, enjoying the meal. So it's something that is intentional and it's an intentional part of your day as opposed to after you've just been working a ridiculous number of hours saying, well, I just need to eat something. So I'm just going to throw something right. together. But enjoying that experience of creating nutrients for your body that you know are going to be really good for you. Yeah, I like that. Nice. And just out of curiosity, because you, you talked about trying to to sort of push back against that temptation to just push off the self-care and say, I'll do it later. I'll do it on the weekend. I'll do it some other time. I don't know about you, but for me, that's especially hard. For example, like when I'm on a roll, when I'm doing something and I'm like just in the zone or I'm getting stuff done, I'm just like, just one more hour. I can do this. I can get some more stuff done. Does that ever happen to you in terms of just wanting to do a little bit more, a little bit more before you stop for the day or for whatever time period you've set for yourself? 
It does. And that's where I get to catching myself that there will always be more to be done on any given day. And what's important is if I'm not taken care of, then I can't, I can't sustain that being in the role. Yes, absolutely. Wow. Well, thank you so much for this. This is really interesting. Can you talk a little bit about your practice? Let everybody know what your practice is called, where it's located and how people can get in touch with you. Okay. So my practice is called Melanated Women's Health. And don't be disillusioned by the name, even though it's marketed for women who identify as Black or person of color. The practice serves people with all social identities. Initially, it started off as a solo practice, but right now there are some therapists who will be joining. Everyone at the practice is licensed in Pennsylvania. So what that means is if anyone is outside of Pennsylvania, even though telehealth makes therapy accessible, we only serve people who are located in Pennsylvania. Okay. Fantastic. Thank you. I don't know if you've had a chance to listen to any of the previous episodes of the show, but at the very end, what I like to do is something called the finisher. It's just a random question or two that has nothing to do with mental health or self-care, anything like that. So um, let's see for you. What is your favorite movie of all time? Kung Fu Hustle. Kung Fu Hustle. Very Mm -hmm. nice. And tell me why. Yeah. So for me, everyone who I ever share this with, they say it's a comedy. And for me, I don't know if I watched it as a young person, but for me, it's I just love the romance aspect of it. That here's a character that has a disability and the way that the two main characters are going about forging a romantic relationship. Just love the idea of it. That's awesome. Wait, who's in Kung Fu Hustle? So that, I don't know the names of. It's an Asian-based movie. Oh, okay. Were you thinking of something else? Yes, Kung Fu Panda, um, which is very different. (laughs) (laughs) This is very different, I think. I think I recently saw it on Netflix. It's a really old movie. Okay. Got it. All right. I'm going to look that up because I don't I don't know that I've ever heard of that movie. People but typically it sounds... haven't. Uh, huh? People typically haven't. And I may have yeah. first watched it like over 10 years ago. Okay. But it just it stuck with you and you really stuck liked it. Me. It really spoke with you. That's awesome. I love that. And what was your favorite TV show in middle school? Middle school. So here's the thing with that question. As a Jamaican, we don't or school system isn't structured like elementary, middle, oh, high. So I have to like know, right. look into my brain to see what age range is middle school. Let's say... Give me an age range. 11, 12, 13 or like 12, 13, like 11 to 13 around there. So 11 to 13 probably was something like, are you afraid of the dark? What is that, like Nickelodeon or something? Or One of those. One of those, like, okay. I look back at it like, that wasn't that scary, but coming home from school afterwards watching that, I remember being, like, scared. Like, oh, <laughs> panic happening in this. Okay. All right. So the scary stuff, are you, as an adult, are you a fan of, like, horror or thrillers or anything like that? I do not. I actually do not watch anything that involves, like, gore or horror. It gives okay. me nightmares. So I figured that out early and decided it's not for me. I don't have to put myself through that. Right. 
That makes sense. That makes absolute sense. And I figure you probably hear stressful and terrible things all day anyway. So to go home and then watch more of that was probably not the best way to sort of relax. Yeah. It's all about listening to your body and respecting the signals that it sends. Yep. 100%. Well, thank you so much for for being here today, for sharing your thoughts. I I really enjoyed our interview. So thank you once again, Nicola Pierce-Smith and take care. Thank you so much for having me. And the conversation was a lovely switch up to my typical workday. So thank you for that. Oh, fantastic. I'm happy to hear that. You're welcome. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for joining me for the Self-Care Chronicle. If you enjoyed today's show, please go to Apple Podcasts and leave a review. Also, be sure to subscribe to the Self-Care Chronicle on your favorite podcast platform. To find out more about today's episode, or to listen to additional episodes, visit drmarshabrown.com. See you next time.